Would you like to hear an amazing fact? Okay, we're going to get right into our study for tonight because I have a lot of exciting things to share with you. Have you heard about the Biosphere 2? Well, I'm going to read this because I think it's, uh, I want to make sure and get it straight. The Biosphere 2 is a state-of-the-art greenhouse complex built on three acres in the Arizona desert. This huge sealed computer-controlled environment was intended to be a miniature version of the much larger Biosphere 1 we call Earth. Completed in 1991 at a cost of $200 million, with five wilderness areas, ranging from rainforest to a desert, and stocked with thousands of exotic plants and animals, the eight Biospherians were to learn how to live off the land, isolated from the outside world except for communications. The designers envisioned man creating the perfect environment. But when this landlocked Noah's Ark set sail for a two-year voyage of discovery from 1991 to 1993, it ran aground on a host of unforeseen environmental and human disasters. Oxygen levels inside the complex dropped so low that emergency oxygen had to get pumped inside that violated their main tenant of isolation. And crop production was so poor that the starving crew got hungry enough to steal food from one another or have it smuggled in by friends. Nearly all the birds and animals that were supposed to thrive inside died, except for the crazy ants and the cockroaches that now fill the place. Their proud vision of man making utopia on Earth has become a joke. Today, Biosphere 2 is a tourist attraction masquerading as science. Man wanted to create utopia on Earth, and they thought that they could reproduce the uh, the biosphere, all the ingredients of the environment and the cycle of life that we have here on the planet as God designed it, and it was a total flump. There's a very incredible, miraculous balance of life in our world that keeps things going. Man has often sought to have heaven on earth, but uh, so far we've not arrived. The closest I think our planet ever came was during the reign of one of the monarchs by the name of Solomon. And that's where we get our historical for tonight's lesson. King Solomon, when he first came to the throne, a young man, he reigned 40 years just like his father David. His mother was the beautiful Bathsheba. Solomon was not only intelligent because he prayed for wisdom, but his grandfather was a man in the Bible called Ahithophel, which was the wisest of uh, David's counselors. So he had some good genes as well. One night Solomon was sleeping and the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And he said, ask what I should do for you. And Solomon said, Lord, I'm just a child. I don't know how to go out or come in. He was very humble when he first came to the throne. He said, give your servant a wise and understanding heart that I might govern your kingdom, that I might understand the difference between right and wrong. And the thing that Solomon prayed for pleased the Lord, so that the Lord not only gave him wisdom, he gave him riches beyond any king who had ever lived to that point, as well as a long life and a great deal of peace and prosperity. The Bible says that during the reign of Solomon, monarchs from around the world came to hear tidbits of his wisdom. Among those who traveled long distances, you had the Queen of Sheba. She brought a caravan bearing uh, gold and precious spices and exotic animals and plants to Solomon that she might remain in Jerusalem and listen and learn. She had heard reports of his great wisdom and wondered if it was true. She said, I need to see it for my own eyes. Well, you know, during the reign of Solomon, the children of Israel were at the zenith of their prosperity. 
They were at peace on every side. They finally were able to have the territory that God had promised to Israel with all of its borders being expanded. There was great wealth in the kingdom. This is how the Bible explains it, that uh, it says everything was made of gold that Solomon had. She spent, Queen of Sheba stayed for a couple of months with Solomon, and she spent time observing him as he went before the Lord. She observed his, the, the temple and his beautiful palaces that he had built both in Jerusalem and his summer palace, and the, sort of as his special guest. As a matter of fact, when she left, the Bible says she ended up leaving with more than she came with. He blessed her with gifts as well. And all of Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. And all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. It was nothing accounted of in the days of Solomon. In a kingdom in that condition, talk about a good economy. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon and the house that he had built and the food on his table and the seating of his servants, and the service of his waiters, and their apparel, and his cupbearers, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. That word spirit in Hebrew is translated breath. She was left breathless. The glory of the kingdom during the time of Solomon was hard to comprehend. Everything was made of gold. Great peace and prosperity. He had just beautiful uh, exotic plants and gardens everywhere. But you know, God has prepared a kingdom much more beautiful for his people. Remember, Solomon was the son of David. And the son of David prepared a beautiful kingdom for the people. Jesus is the son of David. And he has prepared a kingdom for those who love and serve him. Why don't we go into our lesson now and start with question number one, because we have a lot of exciting things to discuss. Number one, what did Jesus, did you do your homework? Okay, good. You'll get a bigger blessing and read the notes that we've got and the special supplements at the end of the lesson. I wrote something here. Incidentally, I wrote these lessons. I hadn't told you that yet. But uh, at the end of this, I wrote a special supplement about the kingdom of God that I think you'll find beneficial. Question number one, what did Jesus promise his people? Answer, John 14, verse 2. Say the answers with me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Now that word mansions translates dwelling places. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Now the context of this statement is in, in the scenario of a Jewish wedding. Let me give you a picture that's going to help you understand a number of scriptures. When a Jewish man, back in Bible times, proposed to a young lady that took his fancy, he wanted to make sure and get parental permission back then, but assuming he had that, he would take and offer her a glass of grape juice. If she took the cup and drank it, it meant she accepted his proposal. You remember when Jesus said to the disciples, are you able to drink the cup that I am going to drink? One of the first miracles of Christ was he turned water into wine. It's very significant. You know, Jesus, what does wine represent biblically? The blood. Jesus turned water into pure grape juice for a wedding. You know what happened when Jesus died on the cross? They gave him sour wine. Christ gave the human race a blood transfusion. He turned water into pure wine and gave it to a wedding as a proposal. And he took our sour wine. It's a symbol of his taking our sin and he gave us his pure innocent blood to wash away our sins. 
So if she drank that, it meant she accepted the proposal. Then the young man would go back to his father's house and begin constructing the honeymoon chamber. She did not know exactly when that was going to be. And so she would then prepare her wedding gown and her bridesmaids and make those preparations. But she had to remain ready, not knowing when the announcement would come. The bridegroom is coming now to receive his wife. Now, Christ said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many dwelling places. Do you think that the groom is going to forget why he made the honeymoon chamber? Do you think Jesus is going to forget to come back for us? Obviously not. The bridegroom's friend or the best man would then go before when he came and said, Behold, the bridegroom comes. You remember the parable of the ten virgins? All these parables were in the context of the wedding. The Bible says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loves the church. The new Jerusalem is seen in Revelation coming down as a bride prepared. Now, when a man really loves the girl he's going to marry, he wants to do everything he can to impress her. For our honeymoon, I took Karen on a cruise. And we got a suite with a balcony on a brand new ship called the Crystal Harmony. And we went through the Panama Canal. We even got an upgrade. There was only one cabin above ours. It was like the presidential suite. We got a free upgrade. And uh, I was so happy that I was able to spoil her to display my love. Now, do you think that I love Karen more than Jesus loves the church? Do you think that he wants to shock you with surprises? He tells us that you cannot imagine what he's prepared for you. He's gone to prepare a wonderful mansion. He's built a home, a city for you in the New Jerusalem. Number two, what do we know about this place that Jesus is preparing? Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. Now, what does the Bible mean when it says a new heaven? There are three words that were in Hebrew for heaven, or they had three heavens. You ever heard the expression, I was in seventh heaven? You heard that expression before? It's not in the Bible. The Bible does talk about the Apostle Paul being caught up to the third heaven. Some people think there are actually churches that teach God has a segregated heaven. And I don't mean racially segregated, but they got it segregated where if you weren't real good, you've got to be on the first floor, and then they've got a penthouse on the seventh floor, you know. They drive, got to be careful what I say here. I was going to say Yugos in the lower heaven, but I decided not to say that. And then they drive a Porsche or a Maserati in the seventh heaven, you know, and uh, they've got, the, that's not how the heavens are divided. The Jews had three words for heaven. The first heaven was the atmosphere around the earth where the clouds float and the birds fly. That was called the first heaven. You remember in Genesis where it says God created a heaven between the waters? That's the atmosphere, a firmament, it says in the King James Version. That was the atmosphere. The second heaven is where the sun, moon, stars, the heavenly bodies hang. Okay, the starry heavens, the Bible speaks of. The third heaven was the dwelling place of God, paradise, what we commonly think of when we say going to heaven, okay? And that's our study for tonight. But why would God make a new heaven? It's talking about a new atmosphere around the earth. You remember when Second Peter says the heavens shall dissolve? It's talking about the atmosphere around the earth, not where God dwells. So those are the three heavens the Bible teaches. And then the second part of that answer, for he has prepared for them a city. Now the city that God has prepared, the New Jerusalem, is more beautiful and spectacular and splendid 
than anything you can imagine. And Revelation, this is part of prophecy, the Bible ends dealing with this issue, speaks about that beautiful city. And in the middle of the city is that beautiful garden. We'll talk more about that. I want you to notice something. First three chapters of the Bible talk about how man lost paradise and he was evicted from the garden. Remember, man was chased out of the garden. God put these angels with a flaming sword there. The last three chapters of the Bible in Revelation tell how man is once again restored to the garden. Everything in between is telling us about this battle between good and evil and how we can ultimately be victorious and get back to the garden. Amen? Isn't that good news? But heaven is real. It's not a theory. God did not design people to die. He designed us to live forever. You know, that's one question the evolutionists have not been able to answer. Is that if human beings are so sophisticated and if we have been evolving for millions of years, then why is it that parrots live longer than people? Do you know one of the longest living creatures on earth? You know what it is? It's a fish, a pike. They found one that lived over 200 years that they were able to track. They got some birds that live longer than you and me. If we're so sophisticated, why do we get old? Why do our cells stop regenerating? God intended for us to live forever. And you can live forever. That's what this study is about tonight. Second answer is Matthew chapter 5. Oh, wait a second. First, I want to talk about the new Jerusalem. Now, when you think about Jerusalem, Remember what the word Jerusalem means? Jerusalem, city of peace. I'm glad the Bible specifies that he's building a mansion in the new Jerusalem because the old Jerusalem, it's, it's really an oxymoron. It is not a city of peace, is it? Matter of fact, there has been more war fought over that city. The four major religions of the world sort of claim it as their holy place. The Jews, rightfully so. And so do the Catholics and the Protestants and the Muslims all claim it as their holy place. It's the most fought over piece of real estate in the world today. Comparatively small. I was there a couple of times and my guide told me that they did some excavation. And to the best of their knowledge, based on the layers of ash, the city has been destroyed and rebuilt 27 times in various battles. City of Peace. The new Jerusalem is going to be very different from the old one. You go to the old Jerusalem, you can see the walls are riddled with bullet holes. City of peace. Matthew 5, where is that city going to be? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The new Jerusalem is going to come down from God out of heaven. God has a space city. Now, I know a few years ago when people talked about a city in space, folks, that's impossible. But right now, we know NASA is assembling a station in space, and it is possible for man to do it. Folks are thinking, well, since we can do it, maybe God can do it. We don't give God credit for being able to do something that man can't do. I believe God is going to be able to bring that city down through space. How about you? It goes on then also to say, Isaiah 65, 21, and they will build houses and inhabit them. Now, the wonderful thing you find out as we continue studying Revelation, what it says about the cities, is that the materials that are used are all eternal materials. Nothing has to die. In our world, we kill trees to build houses. Right? We kill animals and to make the clothes and the belts and the things. Nothing dies in that kingdom. Everything is made out of eternal minerals. Look at how well the pyramids have remained preserved. Even in our harsh environment, cursed by sin. Imagine having a home 
that will never need any kind of repair, the paint doesn't erode, made out of precious jewels and gold and things like that, that are eternal. The environment will be friendly, so to speak. You know, I heard this story about this, uh, this lady who was very wealthy here on earth and she got to heaven and she had a cute little cabin-like mansion that the Lord guided her to. And she looked across the golden street and she saw this splendid Taj Mahal-like mansion. She said, "Woo! who lives there? And uh, Jesus said, well, that's your gardener that you had on earth. She said, how did he raid like that? And the Lord said, well, he sent a lot more materials in advance than you did. You know, the Bible says that we store our treasures in heaven now. And so you want to send construction materials on in advance, right? Okay, question number three. What more do we know about the holy city? Revelation 21, 16. The city lies, say the answers with me. Oh, wait a second, wait a second. You know, I wasn't looking at the monitor. I, I had some pictures up here and I'm rushing along through the lesson. Let me just tell you so our folks at home understand the pressure that I'm under. Karen is sitting here on the front row. Stand up, Karen. She's sitting here. She signals me while I'm preaching. You know what her signal is? She's going... So I'm trying to concentrate. I've got all these wonderful things I want to share with you. And Karen's going like this. You know, whenever I'm preaching back at our church, she sits where I can see her. And she signals me. She's got a whole series of signals. She's got... She's got... She's got... She's got... And so I'm trying to concentrate and... and uh, so pray for me. Mrs. Bachelor's on the front row. Okay, you know, there have been a number of magazines recently that are focusing on heaven and the spiritual intensity of people here in North America. It's a lot deeper than most people realize. But there's been a lot of money that we've spent wondering what's out there. We send uh, these space shuttle missions off into space. And we've got these voyagers and these satellites that are still floating through the cosmos looking for intelligent life. And it's like we're not comfortable here. We're wondering, we're restless, wondering if there's intelligent life out there. And God is wondering, is there intelligent life down there? Because man knows things aren't right. Man knows that maybe time on earth is limited. Jesus said, unless those days be shortened in prophecy, no flesh would be saved. If God does not intervene, this world is not going to last forever. And so man is exploring beyond the limits of this world. But considering how big space is, we haven't left the front yard yet. When you consider that the nearest star is four light years away, it's either Alpha Centauri or Alpha Proximi. You travel 186,000 miles per second. Then you go four years, 186,000 miles per second. You get to the nearest star. Space is infinite. And yet, we haven't left the neighborhood yet trying to explore what's out there. But man is yearning for something better, and that's the point there. All right, question number three. What more do we know about this holy city? Now, say the answers with me. Revelation chapter 21, verse 16. And the city lies four square, and he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. 12,000 furlongs represents 375 miles on each side, 1,500 miles around. Now, the Bible also goes on to say the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. That has confounded many Bible scholars because it's very clear. For one thing, the Bible tells us the walls of the New Jerusalem are 144 cubits. 
that would be about 214 feet. But it doesn't say they're 144 cubits high. It doesn't say are they 144 cubits wide. Some have speculated the New Jerusalem may be 375 miles wide, 375 miles long, and 375 miles high, with the walls 214 feet wide. Others have thought maybe they are 214 feet wide, but the city reaches as high as you saw in that form, uh, 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 or this illustration here. The city reaches as high as 375 miles. Now, I don't know. Some of you are saying, I can't comprehend that. That's hard to imagine. That's good. God said, you cannot imagine what he's prepared for those that love him. Keep in mind, who's going to dwell in the city with the redeemed? The Lord is. It's going to be... Think big. It's going to be the capital of the universe, which means the new Jerusalem will be seen from outer space like a jewel resting on this blue orb. The whole planet is going to be recreated. So don't underestimate that if the new Jerusalem reaches up into the stratosphere and God's throne is there somewhere, all things are possible with God, the Bible tells us. You might be wondering, well, Doug, 375 miles, how's there going to be room for everybody who's ever lived in that city? Well, here in Manhattan, how many people do we have right on the island? I forget. 7.5 million? Something like that? I think that's one of the figures I've heard. What is it? About five miles by seven miles? New York City? Manhattan? Is that pretty close? New York City could easily fit just in the Garden of Eden in the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is bigger than the state of Oregon. Do you think there's going to be enough room for all the redeemed who've ever lived, especially if the city goes 375 miles up? I understand in Manhattan, you've got more people above the 40th floor than the whole state of Minnesota. So there'll be plenty of room for the family of God and the city of God. Amen? Let's go on. The second part of that answer. I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. Now, when you think of cities, some people like cities. I grew up in this city and I didn't enjoy it. Sorry, friends. But I got crowded. I got a fever for the mountains. I ran away when I was 13 years old. Went up to Havistraw, New York, moved into the mountains. And later I ran away. You heard my testimony and I ended up in a cave for a year and a half. My heart yearns for wide open places. You know, the Bible says, Isaiah chapter 5, Woe unto them that join field to field and house to house so there's no place where man might be alone in the earth. God's original plan was for people to have a little elbow room. Cities in the world typically are concentrations of evil. Not that there's anything wrong with a city, because we're going to live in a city. But because people generally are unconverted, and you get a whole lot of sinners together, and you get a whole lot of what? A whole lot of sin. That's why you've got a lot more crime in these earthly cities than you will have in God's city that he's created. It tells us more about this city. Revelation 21, verse 10. It, and it reads, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God had a wall great and high and had how many gates? Twelve. Twelve gates. Furthermore, we read, and the building of the wall was of jasper. The walls are translucent and the materials are made so that the light from the very presence of God can ricochet and penetrate all the different building materials. So the whole city is illuminated with the very being of God. Something else you'll discover as you look at the, the dimensions of the New Jerusalem. How many foundations? Twelve foundations. How many gates? How wide are the walls? 
says, uh, well, either either 144 cubits wide or high, but it's 12 times 12, right? New Jerusalem tells us that uh, it's got tree of life that has 12 kinds of fruit, 12 times a year. Those of you who are builders or carpenters know the most perfect number for building is the number 12. That's why they're 12 inches in a foot. 12 is divisible by 1, by 2, by 3, by 4, by 6, and by 12. Mathematically, it's a perfect number. You know, I understand that um, a number of years ago, here's a little amazing fact trivia, a Norwegian shipbuilder was reading his Bible, and he looked at the dimensions that God gave to Noah for Noah's Ark. And he thought, you know, that would be a very stable vessel. And he built a cargo ship with the same scale dimensions as Noah's Ark. And lo and behold, it proved to be one of the most stable and buoyant and solid ships in a, in a tempest-tossed sea, anything that had been built. The oil tankers that cross the oceans of the world today now follow that scale that God gave to Noah, that a Norwegian shipbuilder adopted, because they are the most stable design, the ratio, the percentages that God gave Noah. Do you think that John, a fisherman, fabricated uh, the uh, dimensions for the New Jerusalem in his mind, he did not have the carpentry skills or the mathematic understanding to know these things. This came from God. Amen? The Lord designed this city. He did not dream it up. Where am I now? The last part of the answer, Revelation 21, 21, and the streets of the city are pure gold. You know, they say pure gold has no color. It's transparent like glass. It's the impurities in gold that make it yellow. Question number four. What does the Bible say about the city's water and food supply? Say the answers with me. He showed me a pure river of water of life. Now, I've traveled to many parts of the world, and I've seen some beautiful rivers. I've crossed the Mississippi. A little while ago, I went to uh, Brazil, and I saw Igasu Falls. Beautiful river. The, the, the power, and it was flooding when I was there, and the power and the force of that water went right down underneath the waterfalls. You could feel it thundering below, and we all got wet. We had to put these raincoats on. Amazon River, I understand, pushes fresh water a hundred miles out into the Atlantic Ocean. How big do you think the river is that will supply the water for the city of God and the whole planet? You know, from the Garden of Eden, four rivers ran. How do you think those four rivers ran from the garden? There was a spring that came somewhere in the garden that must have been mammoth in proportions that irrigated the whole planet back then. The oceans that we have in the world today are the result of the flood and sin. How many of you remember reading, speaking of the new earth, it says there was no more sea. That doesn't mean there's no more water. It doesn't mean there are no more lakes. It means there's no more of this briny ocean that we have now that was the result of sin. If there are rivers running, rivers run into what? They run into lakes or oceans. There's going to be bodies of water, but they're fresh bodies of water that are booming with life. You know, you swim in the ocean, it stings your eyes. There'll be nothing to hurt or destroy in God's new earth. Picture the river of God, that river of life, a hundred miles across. I mean, after all, the city's 375 miles across. That would be a very small percentage. And it's going to irrigate the whole planet. Okay? Picture that for a second. I want that in your mind when we go to the next answer. Revelation 22, 2. On either side of the river, there was the what? The tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruit and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. 
Now think about this for a second. How many trees of life are there? There's one tree of life on either side of the river. Isn't that what it said? The only way we can understand that is the branches of this singular tree grow together above the river. I would believe then the roots go together under the river and you've got the river of life running through the tree of life. Now, if the river is 100 miles across, how big is the tree? Woo! Now that, that you're saying, Doug, you're getting carried away here. This is, I can't accept that. That's okay. You don't have any imagination. I've got maybe too much. But think about it for a second. How many people are going to eat from that one tree? Thousands? Millions? Billions? A lot of people. It's got to be a big tree. Let me ask another question. Why does it say that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations? That's because if you wander off and you get poison ivy, you've got to go pull the leaves and rub them in your rash, right? No, you notice it doesn't say the leaves are for the healing of disease or sickness. The healing of the what? Nations. Right now, back behind our stage, we've got translators that are broadcasting as I speak in at least 16 different languages. We are all divided. God's children from the Tower of Babel have been divided and separated by culture and language and national political barriers. When we all gather together as one family under the leaves of the tree, all of our divisions will be healed. That's what it's talking about. We will be a united people. It doesn't mean people are going to get sick and need to go find the leaves of the tree for some kind of herbal remedy. Question number five. How will living in heaven be different from living here on earth? Now, I'm going to go through some of these quickly, okay? Isaiah 35, verse 5. The eyes of the blind shall be opened. Answer B. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Everybody's going to hear. Not only your seeing will be restored if you've got bad eyesight, but you'll be able to see better than an eagle. The hearing will be greatly enhanced. Then, answer C, the lame man shall leap as a heart. That's a deer-like creature. And the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Answer D, the beast, it says, shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Answer E, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and a little child shall lead them. Will there be children in heaven? Someone wrote down the question, will they stay children forever? Does that mean that we'll forever be changing diapers? Someone actually asked that. <laughs> the Bible says in Malachi chapter 4, they shall go forth and grow up, but they'll grow more slowly. Someone wrote down a question about Isaiah chapter 65 verse 20. Let's see if we can include that in our meeting Tuesday, where it says the days of a child She'll be like a hundred years when the child dies. And people are confused about that. Write that down. I'll ask that when we get together Tuesday in our next meeting. Furthermore, it tells us, answer F, the desert will blossom as the rose. Will the roses have thorns in the kingdom? No. Thorns came as a result of the curse. That's why Jesus wore a crown of thorns. He was taking the curse of sin. He became the king of sin for you and me, so to speak. Answer G, the inhabitant will not say, I am sick. And answer H, there shall be no more death. Does that mean just people? No more death. Nothing will die. No animals will die. Trees won't die. Nothing is going to die in the universe. Death is an enemy, the Bible tells us. And there'll be no more death. Can you say amen? amen. That's good news, friends. I am so tired. Our whole world is built on death and decay. 
Think about all the extra room we're going to have in the new earth. No cemeteries. No golf courses. No, it doesn't say that. Some people just became very angry at me. They take up a lot of room though, don't they? I'm a pilot. I fly around. You can always spot the cemeteries and the golf courses. No garbage. You'll be unemployed, dear. Karen's a physical therapist. There'll be no aches and pains. There'll be no zoos. There'll be no courthouses. No police stations. No garbage trucks. There'll be no banks. Because nobody's going to steal and you won't need any money. What are you going to buy? Everybody's loving and outgiving each other, right? I mean, you, you can't imagine the whole economy of our world is built on sin. It's all built on death. We constantly consume because everything dies. Our cars die, our refrigerators die, our TVs die. Everything dies in this world, right? But in that world, nothing ever fails. It says, my people will long enjoy the work of their hands. You will do something and it'll last forever. And here in this world, like building with cards, everything falls apart. Where am I? Question number... Ooh, I better move along. You need to be telling me to move along, dear. Number six, what kind of bodies will the saints have? You know, there's a lot of misconceptions about heaven. How many of you have, you know, seen these medieval pictures of little chubby babies that sit naked on clouds and they play harps and they think, that's what happens. You die, you turn into a little naked baby and you sit on a cloud and you play a harp and no wonder there's so many sinners out there, right? If people think that hell is much more interesting. They don't realize that heaven is real and you're going to have a real body doing real things. What does the Bible say about this? It tells us in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body. He had a glorified body. Now, what kind of body did Jesus have when he rose from the dead? That's question number seven. Is Jesus' body going to be real? Or is he a spirit? When Jesus rose from the dead, did he have a real body? Wait a second. He walked through a locked door when his disciples were gathered in the upper room. But he had a real body. He said to them, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And then to punctuate the fact that he was real, he said, I'm hungry. Do you have anything to eat? He was trying to let them know, I'm real. Now, when God made Adam and Eve, he had an original plan. That plan was interrupted by sin. Is God going to be able to fulfill his original plan? Yes. When Adam and Eve were made, they had real physical bodies that ate, but they touched things. They were real, tangible bodies, but they had four dimensions. After Adam and Eve sinned, the spiritual aura of light, their spiritual dimension was lost. Are there angels in this room now? I believe there are. I believe there are angels that are with you who are watching. And not all of them necessarily are good angels. There's a whole spiritual world that's raging around us that we can't see because we lost our spirit dimension. Some people think you have to be either spirit or flesh. When we get our glorified bodies, we have complete bodies that are real, but we have the spirit dimension added so that we can talk to angels again. I think that we'll no longer be quarantined to this planet. I think we'll be able to fly, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But we're, God is going to fulfill His original plan. All right, question number eight. What other encouraging promises are found regarding heaven? Acts chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. 
and he will send Jesus whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things. You know, everything in this world has been uh, subtracted by sin. Things have been damaged by sin. And I think God is going to compensate us in the kingdom. He's going to restore things to his original plan, except he's going to make it better than it was. You know, sometimes I travel and I have to rent a car and I always reserve my car in advance. Sometimes I go to the counter to get my car and they said, we've got good news and we've got bad news. And they say, uh, your car is not available. That's the bad news. I say, oh, what's the good news? We're going to upgrade you. We're going to give you a car better than what you had reserved. Well, you know, our Lord is giving us an upgrade. Our planet has been damaged by sin. He's going to restore things, but He's going to make them even better the second time around, right? So that's good news. Question number, where am I? Oh, I have to give the second part of this answer. These are the ones, now the Bible speaks about the 144,000 who are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Who are the 144,000? Some think, are they the only ones that are saved? Are there only 144,000 saved? No. If you read in Revelation chapter 7 and you read in Revelation chapter 14 where it talks about the 144,000, it tells us this is a select group of people. And I believe it is a literal number. But they're not the only ones saved. Were the 12 apostles a literal number? Yes. Matter of fact, before God poured out the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 1, they needed to replace Judas. When they got 12 apostles again, they instantly poured out the Spirit. And then they preached to Jews. Jesus said to the 12 apostles, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Christ, when he came the first time, prepared 12 men he discipled to preach to Israelites. Before Jesus comes back now, he's preparing 12 times 12,000, the 144,000 last day apostles, who will preach to the whole world to prepare them for his second coming. That's who they are. They're not the only ones saved, but they are a holy people who will be doing a special work. We'll talk more about that if you have a question on that. Question number nine. Will sad or painful memories from this life trouble people in heaven? Answer? No, it says, the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. If you're like me, how many of you sometimes think back, even though you know you've asked God to forgive you, you remember things you've done and you cringe, you feel bad, you've got painful memories, or you, you know, I've seen things I wish I could forget. I've seen people suffering, I've seen people die, and I, I wish I could get those things out of my mind. Painful memories. Those memories will not come into mind. You know why? Because the concentration, the intensity of the bliss of what is before you will be so powerful, it will completely overshadow and overwhelm all of those other painful memories. Will we forget that Jesus saved us? Will we forget that we were sinners saved by grace? Of course not. One of the things that will for, forever remind us of God's love is Jesus is going to have the scars in his hands that are going to be there as a reminder to prevent sin from ever rising up again the second time. Number 10. Will people from earth recognize each other in God's new kingdom? Answer. Yes, of course. Then shall I know even as I am known. Now you say, but Grandma, she's all old and wrinkled. How am I going to recognize her if she's not all old and wrinkled in the kingdom? Well, you're 
discernment is going to be enhanced. Remember, you're going to have your spiritual dimension. You will see people for who they are. Then I'll know even as I am known. Grandma's going to be ravishing, but you'll still recognize her in the kingdom. Number 11. What other thrilling promises does God give us regarding his coming kingdom? Isaiah 35, verse 10. The ransomed of the Lord shall come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy. You can read Psalms 16, verse 11. There are pleasures at his right hand forevermore. Does God, is pleasure a sin? You know, there, I've met churches and their, their creed is that if it's pleasurable, it's wicked. Let me shock you. God invented taste buds. He wants you to enjoy your food. But every gift that God gives you, the devil can pervert and then it becomes a curse. God invented sex. He intended within the holy confines of marriage for it to be a pleasure. Uh, the Bible tells us that God wants his people to enjoy pleasure. That's what he wants to save us from the misery of earth. Pleasing yourself should not be your primary goal in this world. But pleasure is not a sin if it's in the context of what God permits, right? But I've met some people look like they're baptized in lemon juice and they think that's what uh, Jesus is teaching. Answer C. The streets of the city will be full of boys and girls playing. You know, I remember when I grew up with my brother, we used to go play down on 42nd Street. Any of you remember when they used to have the penny arcades down there back then? And uh, it makes me, gives me the creeps to think even back then that we used to go down there and play. It's kind of scary to think about kids playing in the streets of major cities today, right? But the streets will be safe. That's what it's saying. Even back then they had problems with children playing in the streets. That will not be a problem anymore. Isaiah 40 verse 31. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Never get tired there in the kingdom. Perpetual energy and vigor. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says they will mount up with wings. Will we be able to fly? Now this is one of the only scriptures that tells us that. How many of you have sung the song, Rock of Ages? It says, I'll soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne. One of the things I want to do, of course, we can't base our theology on a hymn. I know that. But I believe that there's enough biblical support that we will not be quarantined or restricted to this planet. We're going to be the representatives, the ambassadors of God that will be able to go throughout the universe and sing his praises. And be able to travel the speed not of sound or the speed of light, but the speed of thought. Fathom that, if you will. The Bible says you can't imagine what God has prepared. Question number 12. Can we adequately describe God's new kingdom with words? Oh, friends. You know, if I could really take you for 30 seconds and give you a little panorama of what the Lord has prepared you would be so motivated to follow God and do His will. The Lord wants you to know the reward. You should not serve God because you're afraid of hell. You should not be serving God because you're wanting to go to heaven only. But these things are there as incentives. The primary reason is because you love Him, right? Amen. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that fear him love that love him God wants you to love him you can't imagine it it's all better and bigger than you can think of the promised land I remember hearing a story about a Texan 
You know, here in America, for our overseas friends, Texans kind of have a reputation for always bragging about how big everything is in Texas. Because Texas is a big state. I used to live there. You can drive all day and all night and still not get across Texas. I remember driving on the highway across Texas and I saw this sign that says, The sun is riz. And then it went on by and a little later it says, The sun is set. A little further later I saw another sign that says, And I'm still in Texas yet. <laughs> big state. And these rich Texas millionaires bragged about how big their ranches were and how big everything was that they've got. And I remember hearing a story about a Texas millionaire. He went to England, stayed in one of the nicest hotels. And the manager, wanting to impress this millionaire, took him to the penthouse suite and showed him around the room. said, this is my room? Well, back in my ranch in Texas, my closet's bigger than this. <laughs> and he said, well, we're sorry, sir. Let, let's show you the, the bathroom here. And he said... Well, that's bathroom. He says, that's nothing. He says, my sink's bigger than this back in Texas. So says, look out of the balcony. He says, see the swimming pool. And the Texan says, that's not a swimming pool. He says, well, my bathtub's bigger than that back in Texas. And he kept insulting the manager, just, you know, bragging Texas oil man. Hotel manager couldn't take it anymore. The Texas millionaire went out to lunch with a friend. The hotel manager called a buddy of his that worked at the London Zoo and said, please, I'm desperate. I need to borrow your sea turtle. He said, what for? He said, just lend it to me. He said, okay. So he took the sea turtle, he put it up in the millionaire's bed, covered it up. Pretty soon the millionaire came back from lunch and went into his room and the manager got a call at his desk and the Texan was on the phone. He said, what? what? What's this critter here in my bed? And the manager calmly said, I apologize, sir. It appears you've run into one of our London bed bugs. <laughs> Everything bigger in Texas. Number 13, what is the highest reward of God's new kingdom? It says, God himself will be with them. Think about it. Someday we will dwell with God. You know, I've often moaned that here I was created in this sinful world. I thought, why couldn't I have been made one of these unfallen creatures or an unfallen angel? Why to have to be made a sinful human mortal? You ever thought that way or is it just me? But are you aware that in spite of the fact that you and I do need to wrestle with the devil, we do struggle with temptation, the greatest privilege of any creature is going to fall upon those who accept Jesus that are saved. You and I will live and reign with Christ through eternity. What a privilege. Can you say amen? amen. He will dwell with us. He's going to transport the capital of the universe to our planet and heaven will now be on earth when the new Jerusalem comes down. We have a study later on when that's going to happen. Number 14, what will exclude people from God's heavenly kingdom? Revelation 21 verse 27 tells us, There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. You know, if the devil was cast out for sinning, we're not going in that way. We must allow the Lord to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And He can do it, friends. Have faith in God. Amen? All things are possible with God. Stop worrying about how you could ever follow Him. Do you think Jesus would go through everything He went through to save you if it wasn't possible for you to be saved? It is possible. You can make it. Every one of you. Some of you are thinking, oh, but you don't know me. My circumstances, my parents, my upbringing, I wrestle with all these problems. All things are possible with God if you believe. Be it unto you according to your faith. Furthermore, it says, Revelation 21, verse 7, He that overcometh 
will inherit all things. Jesus wants to give this to you desperately, but he can't force you to love him, to trust him, to follow him. You must choose. You know, before Karen and I went to Russia, we received an invitation to go and preach there right after the Iron Curtain fell. I knew nothing about it. My ancestors were from Russia on the Jewish side of the family. I was anxious to go. I got a tape and I tried to learn something about the language. We needed to convert some of our money into the money of the Russian people. Tried to discover about the climate and what kind of clothes we should bring. And uh, find out as much as we could about the culture because we were preparing to go live for several weeks in another country. And I've learned how to say a few words in several languages. I can After six weeks of listening to someone translate everything I said, I began to learn to speak a little bit of Russian too. If you and I are planning on living in that kingdom where there's no sin, among angels, where there's no death, it's a good idea for us to now start preparing. You know, the people there talk different. We should start talking different now. When I decided to be a Christian, I had to learn to speak different because I had bad language. We need to start dressing different. When I came to the Lord, I didn't wear anything. Yeah, we're glad I've gotten the victory over that, right? And so now we want to prepare to be citizens in that kingdom, amen? And get ready for it. Number 15, what can I do about sin? John, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will do that. He will cleanse you and make you an overcomer and you can be ready when Jesus comes. Number 16. What did Jesus say is the formula for success in this life and in the next? You know, he tells us he's prepared a kingdom for us. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You know, the Lord wants to take us to that new Jerusalem. It's not like the old one. Heard a story about a little boy. Father said he could get a puppy for his birthday. He took him to the pound. All these puppies were in the cage. Some of them were on death row. And the boy saw one mongrel but was wagging its tail furiously. And he said, Dad, I want that one. He said, well, son, there's some purebreds here. Why do you want that mutt there? He said, he's got a happy ending. <laughs> the Lord wants you to have a happy ending too. Amen? Amen? This life is not all that it's about. This is not it. There is a place that he's prepared for those that love him, the new Jerusalem. And I want you to pray about your decision to be ready for that day when Jesus comes to take his children home. Marco Polo, the famous Venetian trader, had adventures that are unbelievable. Traveled through the Orient, saw the great Khan, lived in the palace, saw gunpowder, a wall that was 1,500 miles long, came back to Italy and Venice and told the stories of what he had seen. Few people believed him. When he lay dying, the priest came to his bedside. They said, recant, take away the lies that you've told. He said, lies, I have not told you the half of what I'd seen. And friends, as I try to describe for you the glories of heaven, I wish I had the tongue of an angel because I have not told you the half of what I've seen. Recognizing that God is in full control of earthly events, are you willing to let him have full control of your life? I pray you across the country will say yes to that question.